everyone, and welcome to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 34, and my name is Michael Bradley. This episode, we'll be looking at the second storyline from the Sunday continuity of the Superman newspaper strip, which thankfully offers a much more entertaining yarn than the initial storyline. Before we get into that, though, I want to bring to your attention something very awesome that was sent to me by listener Steve J. Rogers. Steve is a regular listener and has written into the show a few times, and what he sent was scans of the fronts and backs of a complete set of 72 Superman bubblegum cards. The set he scanned is a reprint set produced in 1984 of a set originally produced and released in 1940 or maybe 1941. The original set was among the earliest Superman memorabilia released, and, as far as I know, the first Superman-centric bubblegum or trading cards made. The wrapper, which Steve also dug up a scan of, bells them as adventure story cards. The front of each card has an image of Superman doing some feat or bit of action. They aren't images from comics or the newspaper strips, but they look like they could be panels of either one of those. You know, we see Superman stopping a bullet, or saving children, or leaping away from an explosion, that kind of thing. Then on the back of each card, we have a paragraph of text telling a story that relates to the image on front. Obviously, they aren't long stories. They have to fit on the back of a bubblegum card, after all. But some of them are quite fun. The first card is a retelling of Superman's origin, which ends with, When Emergency Threatens when those who are on the side of truth and justice require assistance. Kent becomes Superman, valiant, courageous, the man of tomorrow. It's just great stuff. With the original set being released in 1940 or 1941, like I said, that original set of cards was among the earliest Superman memorabilia produced. Perhaps what's most notable about those cards, from a historical perspective, is that the first card in the set is the earliest occurrence that I'm aware of of Superman's Kryptonian name being spelled with the suffix of E-L. When the original set was released, Superman's Kryptonian name had only been revealed in a printed story one time, and that was in the second newspaper daily strip published on January 17, 1939. And there it was spelled with the suffix being simply a letter L. The E-L spelling of the suffix would soon become the regularly used spelling and was used throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages and even still today. In his email, Steve said he was trying to dig up information about who did the artwork or wrote the text on the back. I did a bit of research myself and couldn't suss out anything. However, were I to make a guess, I would say the artwork was done by artists in the Joe Schuster studio. I sense definite hints of Joe Schuster, Paul Cassidy, Wayne Boring, and more throughout the various cards. I am not sure who wrote the text on the back, though I kind of feel it was unlikely that it was Jerry Siegel. It could possibly have been Bob Maxwell or Alan Duchovny, or more likely someone in their employ, such as George Lothar. Lothar would actually be my top guess if pressed. However, Whitney Ellsworth or someone in the DC offices are other obvious candidates. If anyone has any additional information about the cards, particularly the creators responsible for the art and text, I'd appreciate it if you could let me know. 
like I said, Steve is still looking into it, and if I hear anything from him, I'll, I'll be sure to pass that along on a future show. But if anyone else has any information, you can just drop me an email to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. Apparently, the original cards are somewhat rare because the last third of the set was short printed, and putting together a complete set of the originals is next to impossible and would be very expensive if you could even manage to do so. So, I'm very thankful to Steve for scanning this reprint set and sending it my way. I've put all of the images in a gallery at the site at greatcrypton.com, along with some other information that Steve sent, so be sure to check them out. I will include the link in the show notes for this episode, and likewise it will have a permanent home in the side rail on the site. You know, I always love seeing this vintage Superman stuff, even if it is a reprint, as is the case here. It's part of the history and growth of the character that I simply don't have the resources and means to cover properly on the show, but I like seeing it and being able to share it with the listeners. So, Steve, thank you again very much for passing them along. Presenting the Amazing Spider-Man Classics Podcast Year 2. Starring myself, John Wilson, along with Joshua Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and your favorite guest hosts of the comics podcasting community. Bringing you the classic 1960s adventures of Peter Parker, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, and the gang. As told by Stan Lee, John Romita, Don Heck, Jim Mooney, John Buscema, and more. And to kick the year off, we're running a special episode in March with... Uh, uh, hold on, wait a second... Hey there, webheads! 12 months ago, a very special podcast came onto your iTunes feed, and to celebrate 12 months of that podcast being on your iTunes feed, we thought we'd take you on a special date to the movies, and what a movie it is! Why, it's about our very own webhead spin of Spider-Man, the first installment of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, guest starring one of the Power Rangers. Oh boy, we're in for a good time! So strap yourself in, and here's the hosts! This isn't a way a podcast is supposed to work! Peter, you're seeing the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie without me? Why, no, Betty, I'm seeing it with all my friends, the Amazing Spider-Man Classics listeners, and you're invited too. Even Liz Allen? Yes, Betty, even Liz Allen. Okay, as long as Ned can come. You know why I hate you, Leeds? Because you have a right to listen to this episode with Betty. The shadow of Spider-Man isn't standing between your earphones. Episode 28 kicks off the new year with an in-film commentary on the 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. And then we continue on in future episodes looking at the further adventures of Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, and every guest appearance and cameo we can find. Only at Amazing Spider-Man Classics, found on iTunes and at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. The second storyline from the Sunday version of the Superman newspaper strip was only six strips long, so it's slightly shorter than the first one. The next one we're going to cover is even shorter, and now that I'm sitting here recording, I'm wondering if I should have just not covered them both together, but regardless, we will be seeing some longer strips in the Sundays. Generally speaking, though, they're going to be shorter as far as the number of strips goes, but Because each individual Sunday strip is three times longer than the daily strip, they end up being a little longer than than they appear compared to the dailies. 
Anyway, it was strips 9 through 14 and ran from December 31, 1939 to February 4, 1940. That puts it starting just a couple days after the likely release of Action Comics number 21, which we looked at back in episode 31, and running concurrently with the publication of Action Comics number 22, which we looked at last episode, and the daily storyline that we will look at two episodes from now. It was written by Jerry Siegel and penciled by Joe Schuster with inks by Paul Cassidy and possibly likely Paul Loretta as well. I also note that in the fifth strip of the storyline, Siegel is again credited as Jerome for one installment before going back to Jerry in the next strip. I'm not sure what the change was about, but that caught my eye. Our story has been titled The Mindless Slaves of Dr. Grout. We open with a panel explaining how Superman came from the planet Krypton, whose inhabitants were highly evolved and that the Earth's lesser gravity, compared to that of Krypton, aids Superman in his feats. So it's another brief recap of the origin, or at least an attempt to catch readers up to speed, and I think this is the last time they open the Sunday strips like this, uh, at least for a while. Future tales will just jump right into the story. Speaking of, this story opens with Clark Kent and Lois Lane, the latter making her first appearance in the Sunday strips, passing by a bank on their way to the Daily Planet. As they do, the gun-wielding crooks dash out of the bank. One of them slaps Clark out of the way before both crooks jump into a waiting car and speed off. Lois chides Clark, calling him a coward for not stopping the crooks who just pistol-whipped him instead of shooting him in the face. But Clark says that there was nothing he could have done, while thinking to himself that he could have done something had it not meant revealing his secret identity, and wondering about the strange look in the robber's eyes. Once back at the Daily Planet, the editor introduces Clark to a Mrs. Jasper. The woman explains that a year ago, her husband was placed in an out-of-town job by Benson Employment Agency. Since taking the job, she hasn't heard from her husband, and she's worried that something bad has happened. So first off, a year? I realize cross-country communication in 1940 wasn't anything like it is today, but a year? Shouldn't she have called the authorities or someone in that time? And granted, maybe she did and they didn't do anything, which is why she's coming to the newspaper now, but it doesn't say anything about that in the narration or the dialogue, so it seems like a major hole, but moving on. Clark, always a comfort to emotionally vulnerable women, suggests that perhaps her husband just ditched her. But Mrs. Jasper assures Clark that that wasn't the case, saying that she knows other women whose husbands have been placed by the Benson Agency and likewise went missing. She's convinced that something is wrong, but can't get the agency to talk to her. So Clark says that maybe it is worth looking into, and a short while later, the editor tells him that after some investigation into the newspaper's files, they noticed that, once a year, Benson advertises in the paper seeking large numbers of men. Clark heads off for the agency, but once there is given the bums rush, with Benson saying he's got no use for reporters. Slipping behind the building, Clark sheds his suit and Superman leaps into the sky, landing in the window of Benson's office and demanding information about a man making mass hires. When Benson isn't willing to talk, Superman grabs him and dangles him out the window several stories above street level until Benson agrees to tell him everything he wants to know. As Superman pulls him back inside, Benson tells him that all he knows is that once a year, a man named Rajek 
comes in looking for able-bodied men. Benson then describes Rajak and says that he is currently staying at the Penton Hotel. Meanwhile, outside, a man with a strange gleam in his eyes creeps along the ledge of the building. Suddenly, the man appears in the window of Benson's office, firing off a shot and shooting Benson in the head, before putting the gun to his own temple and pulling the trigger. As Superman watches, the assassin's body plummets to the street below. Superman surmises that only one man could be behind such a double killing, Rajek. Shortly, Clark arrives at the hotel, and after getting the room number from the front desk, Superman leaps up the side of the building to the ledge outside of the window to the room. Inside, Superman overhears Rajek speaking with a man on a monitor about Benson's murder, as well as future plans. Listening intently, Superman's grip tightens, crushing bricks on the side of the building. The noise gets Rajek's attention, who surveys out the window, narrowly missing Superman, who has scurried up the side of the building Spider-Man style and out of sight. Later, back at the Daily Planet, Clark tells the editor that he's sure Rajek is behind the disappearances, and the chief tells him to follow up on an ad that Rajek just placed. And so, later, Clark lines up with the other men applying for a job. After giving Rajek a free pass to the gun show, Clark is swiftly hired and signs a lucrative contract for $75 a week, roughly $1,200 today. Signing the contract, Clark notices there is no mention of the kind of work the men are to do, which makes him further suspicious of the whole deal. Hours later, upon arriving with the other men by bus at the site of the job, Clark notices that the entire compound is surrounded by an electrified fence. Soon, Clark and the other men are led into a room and introduced to a Dr. Grout. As Grout speaks, his hypnotic voice slowly brings the group of men under a hypnotic trance. Clark recognizes the same look he saw in the bank robber's eyes, and soon the men are led out back and forced to do hard labor. Immune to Grout's hypnotism, Clark realizes he must figure out what's going on and plays along in order to get to the bottom of things. Shortly, Rajek selects the five strongest men, one of them being Clark, and leads them back into Grout's laboratory. There, Grout instructs the men that shortly, Governor Carling is to ride in a parade, and their job is to kill him. And once that task is complete, they are to commit suicide. Shortly later, Clark and the hypnotized men take their places along the parade route, but Clark slips away into a nearby alley and changes to Superman, in full view of a dog, which is odd, but kind of cute. As the governor makes his way along the route, Rajek gives a signal, and the hypnotized men hurl bombs at the governor's car. Suddenly, Superman streaks in, grabbing bomb after bomb out of midair, then whirls and tosses them into the air as they explode. Members of the crowd, angry the men just tried to kill the governor, charge after the would-be killers, pinning them down to prevent them from committing suicide. And meanwhile, Superman races after Rajek, who is speeding away in a car. And the panel here is yet another occasion of Superman chasing after a criminal in the air, even though he's not flying yet. Technically. Anyway, Rajek arrives back at the compound and tries to convince a disbelieving grout that a man with super strength, he caught the bombs and hurled them into the air where they exploded harmlessly. Exposition is a casual reader's friend, folks. Grout says he's heard of such a man, but dismisses it, saying Superman is nothing more than a myth. But he quickly learns how wrong he is when Superman himself comes busting through the wall. Leaving a gaping hole behind him, Superman goes after Grout and Rajek. 
The evil scientist grabs a high-tech flame gun and fires at the Man of Steel. But Superman charges through the flames, unaffected, grabbing the gun and pointing it at the crooks. Superman forces the men outside, telling Grout to free the hypnotized men from their thrall, while Rajek fumes that Superman spoiled their plans for taking over the government. As the once-hypnotized men come out of their trance, they remember that Grout enslaved them, and start to go after both him and Rajek, set for a lynching. But Superman steps between the crooks and the gathered horde, saying it's the law's job to deal with them. Later, back at the Daily Planet, the editor congratulates Clark on his latest scoop and on solving the mystery of the recent crime wave. But he wonders how Superman got involved. Clark replies, Only Superman can answer that. While thinking, And Superman doesn't care to talk, he acts. And thus ends our most recent adventure. And I'm going to tell you what, this is more like it. This story is such a marked improvement over the first storyline from the Sunday Strip, and a marked improvement over the last couple stories from the comics, too. It wasn't as outstanding as a couple of those earliest stories from the dailies, but I liked this quite a bit. We didn't have Superman menacing people or killing people. There weren't stupid plot contrivances or nonsensical turns, you know, bears coming out of nowhere for two panel for no reason. But moreover, it was a fun story. We had a slight mystery, a crazy scientist, hypnotism, and a fancy weapon. Only being six strips long, there was no dragging through things or stretching things out. A problem presents itself, Superman goes into action, bada bing bada boom, flamethrower, the end. The downside to that is, of course, I don't have much to say about it. But I will take a fun story like this and less commentary over a bad story where I have a laundry list of things that I didn't like about it any day of the week. Uh, there were a couple of tiny things that I didn't like. Uh, there was the bit about Mrs. Jasper waiting a year before trying to find her husband. I talked about that already, and it could have just been a lack of information on our part, which is still a writing issue, but, you know, that's minor. And we also had Lois calling Clark a coward after getting pistol-whipped by fleeing bank robbers. But that's her shtick, and the era as well. Um, I, I can really do nothing but get used to it or stop doing the show. So, And it's still better than the first year or so of Action Comics, so there you go. It had several nice little moments that didn't really come through in the synopsis. I kind of mentioned at the beginning there is a little worry from Clark over not being able to stop the bank robbers or he'll give up his secret identity. And I really liked that. Um... Eventually, the stories will get to a point where it's overused and it becomes cliché, but for whatever reason, it's used much more moderately at this specific point in time, so I like it when we see it. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just such a Superman staple. In the third strip, there is a fun sequence. At the beginning, as Superman is leaping up the side of the hotel, he leaps past the window of a room where a couple is staying. Uh, the man sees him and freaks out a little bit because, you know, there's a guy jumping past the window several stories up, and the woman chastises him, thinking that he's been drinking. And in that same strip, Rajek is communicating with Grout via a two-way video conference, which was very future tech in an era when most people didn't even own televisions. Uh, the device looks basically like a flat-screen version of a 40s TV, so not real imaginative in the design, but still very sci-fi future technology. 
And of course, as I did mention in the synopsis, Superman is almost caught when he's spying on Rajek. We had a similar scene in Action Comics number 22 from last episode. Siegel's been throwing those in here and there lately, which is odd because Superman to this point, for the most part, has had absolutely no problem making his presence known. But yeah, this just feels like a very iconic story. There's so many classic Golden Age elements. We've got Clark and Lois, Superman fighting guys in suits, a mad scientist, a very squinty-eyed Superman, and even Superman standing between the criminals and the mob feels very iconic. Maybe not yet at the point we are now, we are clearly seeing the beginning of Superman's evolution into that, pardon if I borrow the expression, duly deputized officer of the law. But when you take the 20 years that are the Golden Age as a whole, and beyond certainly, that's something that I see as a part of the character. Um, So all this story really needed was Superman saving Lois and maybe punching a giant robot. But with only six trips, you just can't have everything. The art in this storyline is quite a bit better than the last as well. There is, however, a noticeable shift in the last four strips, so I don't know if that's where Paul Loretta took over, or uh, the lettering is different as well. It's bolder and more readable. So I don't know if that all owes to the different artist, or maybe there were reproduction issues with the first ten strips that caused them to change the way they lettered. I just don't know. The lines in the art for the first story, and even the uh, first two strips here, just feel a lot finer, so that could have been it, or it could have just been the different artist. There are quite a few nice panels. My favorite, I think, is in the second strip. The gunman shoots Benson, and then himself, and the panel is framed looking over Superman's shoulder, looking out the window, and you see the gunman's body falling to the street, and the city sprawled out below. It's just a really nicely framed shot, and pretty unique from what we've seen in Superman's stories until now. I will be sure to scan that one for the show notes, and the rest you can see for yourself when you pick up the collection, because you should definitely do that. Superman has no S on his cape at all in this story, except in the third-to-last panel of the last strip. So that's a little bit interesting, because they've been consistently putting it on the cape lately. His chest shield also seems really tiny, and boy, is that going to change really soon. But more on that in just two short episodes. One more art-related comment. The coloring on these strips, in comparison to the comics, feels less saturated, but thicker and more textured. And I think that owes 99% to the reproduction and the sources they had to use, but I kind of like that. As I look at these stories now, the coloring is different, and, and this is purely selfish, but it helps distinguish them even more from the comics, and when I'm going through all these stories at one time, I like that each thing, whether it be the comics, the dailies, the Sundays, or very soon the radio, has its own look and feel, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, there's only been one reprint for this story, and that is the collection of Sunday strips from Kitchen Sink, and that's pretty much going to be the case for the Sundays, unfortunately. I don't know that any of them have been reprinted outside the volume, so be sure to check that down.
over 70 years of history in film, television, radio, and comics. Who are you? A friend. A hero sent to Earth from a doomed planet to fight for truth, justice, and the American way. A strange visitor from another planet? Superman. This looks like a job for Superman. Superman Forever Radio. A look at Superman's history in all mediums, from comics to film to merchandise, animation, and beyond. I'm your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. Join me every Sunday and Thursday for a twice-weekly exodus into the world of Superman. Sundays we explore a wide range of topics throughout the mythology, from the heights of Metropolis to the fields of Smallville and to the depths of the galaxy of Krypton. Plus the latest news, gossip, and a look at Superman and other media. In Thursdays, we review the Superman comics following the Infinite Crisis in 2006, all the way up to the present, month by month, issue by issue. And don't forget the SFR Daily Planet, a mini-cast giving you the scoop on the Man of Steel as it happens. So visit supermanforever.com or iTunes and, of course, the Superman Podcast Network and begin the never-ending battle today. Superman Forever Radio. All Superman. All the time. David Ellis and Amy Morgan as they access 2099 Bitmapped, a bi-weekly podcast exploring the world of Marvel 2099 through reviews and discussions. Download 2099 Bitmapped at www.tfradio.net. episode will be our third fifth week installment and i actually don't know at this point what the topic will be i thought i might offer a few thoughts on the dc new reboot but none of the books have been published as i record this though by the time you're hearing it action comics volume two number one will be out so i don't think anyone is going to care about my thought at this point. And I'm not sure even I care at this point. But whatever it is I talk about next episode, I'm sure it will be totally awesome. In any event, I want to thank you for joining me this time. Don't forget, for the rest of the month of September, the show is bi-weekly. The show will be out every Tuesday, just like normal. But be sure to check back on Fridays all month long for an additional episode. As always, I invite you to stop by the website at greatcrypton.com, where you will find show notes for this episode as well as all previous episodes. You will also find links to the show's Facebook page and Twitter feed, so you can follow the show and get updates and news as I have it. If you want to subscribe to the show directly, the site will also give you the RSS feed and the iTunes link. If you use iTunes and have time, please feel free to leave an iTunes review. I would really appreciate it. You can also contact me directly by emailing thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. Feel free to send me your thoughts or questions or comments or anything that might be on your mind. Don't forget as well to stop by the Superman homepage where you can not only get all the news you need about Superman, but Steve also puts a post in his news feed when I post new episodes, so you can stay in the loop that way as well. The Thrilling Adventures of Superman is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network home to many excellent Superman-related podcasts and vidcasts. So head on over to Superman Podcast Network and check those out today. 
As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman, folks. And I will talk to you later. Goodbye. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs>